Our scripture today is going to be from the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis. It is the Old Testament lectionary passage for today. And if you're not familiar with the lectionary, it's a three-year cycle of scriptures that helps us preach through all the major themes of scripture. It doesn't cover every verse of scripture, but it captures all the major themes. And so many of us use it. Many of the Protestant denominations use what we call the Revised Common Lectionary. And this is the Old Testament reading. Every week there's an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a gospel reading, and a New Testament reading. This is the Old Testament. And I use the lectionary passages as part of my weekly spiritual disciplines rhythm. So I've been reading the lectionary passages for this week leading up to it. And I just could not shake this passage. So I'm going to read Genesis 25 verses 27 through 34. I invite you to hear God speaking to us through these words of Holy Scripture. When the young man grew up, Esau became an outdoorsman who knew how to hunt, and Jacob became a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of this red stuff. That's why his name is Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright today. Esau said, since I'm going to die anyway, what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, give me your word today. And he did. He sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, got up and left, showing just how little he thought of his birthright. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me put this in a little bit of context for us. The story of the Bible is the story of God's interaction with humankind. And as our story unfolds after the garden, we have God making a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. At this point, Abraham is an old man. He doesn't even have any children yet. And he's like, well, how, how, am, how are all the nations of the world? How am I going to be a nation? I don't even have a, an heir. And God goes, I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of that. Just hang on. And he does. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And now we're with the next generation. Isaac and the, his, the wife of his heart, Rebecca, have finally had children. And they have twins, Jacob and Esau. Twin sons battling in her womb already. If you go back to verses 27 or verse 19 and start reading forward, Rebecca says, what is going on with this pregnancy? Like these children are fighting. She doesn't really know she has twins yet. She just knows something's going on. And God says to her, look at that. Two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples are going to emerge from your body. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So God says, yeah, there's a whole lot going on here. I'm doing something. And so there are twins. Esau is born first, and he comes out red-complected. And it says Edom, by the way, when it says, that's why he's called Edom. Edom means red. 
So he was red at birth and he, want, he sells his birthright for the red stew. So they call it Edom. He is the father of the Edomites, a group of people that we hear coming up over and over in Scripture. And then behind him is the second twin, holding on to the first brother's heel, is um, Jacob coming out, the younger of the two. Now, in the culture at the time, the oldest son inherited the majority of the estate. They got at least a double portion, but in most cases, they got almost everything. And all of the other children, no matter how many they were, only inherited and shared a small, small portion of the inheritance. So Esau, the firstborn, is the the child of promise, the child of destiny, the one who's going to inherit all that God has already done and blessed this growing nation of Abraham that we know becomes Israel people. But we have this thing going on with the two brothers. First of all, we have normal sibling rivalry. I didn't grow up with siblings in the house. How many of you did? Okay, okay but I raised two boys in the same house. And oh my goodness, like the dynamics were very complicated. I would hear them fighting in a room. One of them's upstairs, I'm sorry, telling stories on you. I would hear them fighting and arguing in the room, and I would go in and I'd go, stop that, y'all split up. Both of you go to your room, separate from each other. If you can't play nice, don't play with each other. Which would inevitably cause them both to turn on me, and they'll be mad at me for messing up their playtime. And I'm like, but you were at each other's throats. So I don't always get this sibling rivalry and and the dynamic that exists. I have noticed as I watch siblings, they can get at each other. But if you go after one of the siblings, you're going to get them all jumping on you. So it's a strange and odd dynamic. And so we have that with Jacob and Esau as well. But we have something more. We have parents playing favorite. It says clearly that Isaac loved Esau. It doesn't mean he doesn't love Jacob. He does, but he loves Esau because they share more in common. He likes Esau. He's what we might call a manly man, a man's man. He's rougher. He's hairier. He loves to hunt. He goes out and does the wild stuff and comes home and brings game. And together they make a meal and they share the meal. And they bonded. They get along better. Rebecca, she loves Jacob. He's more like her. He likes to stay home. He likes to cook. They share more in common. And the parents are playing favorites. And let me tell you, favoritism never goes well. It just never goes well. It shows up several times in Scripture, never in a positive way, which I believe is why we find a Scripture that says God shows no favoritism. God doesn't have favorite children. God is a good, good father who loves you. And if you know God is anything else, I hope you will keep interacting with us and let us show you the good, good God that God really is. Because God doesn't love anybody more than God loves you. God loves us all the same. Life circumstances can make it feel a little differently. But if God had to have a favorite child, it'd be every single one of us. But they have favorites. And it doesn't go well. It comes out in increased sibling rivalry 
And I believe leads to what happens right here. So in comes Esau from having been out hunting. He comes in and he's hungry. Long day, lot going on, and Jacob is cooking. And he's like, whew, I am starving. Let me have some of that. And Jacob's going to share, but not without being the usual brother. Like, what are you going to give me for it? It's going to cost you something. And what he asks for is your birthright. Give me your birthright. Now understand they were twins. They were born together, but one came out first. And so by virtue of being the first one out, minutes or seconds before, he is the one that's going to get everything. Jacob goes, I don't know if that's fair. We worry a lot about fair sometimes, don't we? Am I getting what I got coming? Is this fair to me? Why should I have to give this up? Why should I not get this? Why did they get it? That's not fair. We spend a lot of time and we waste a lot of energy trying to figure out what's fair and why it's not fair. Y'all, life is just life. And I'm here today to assure you that God loves you and all the circumstances that come up in the middle of that life. Life sometimes slaps us a little bit. And it isn't because God loves us less. Because God is with us right in the middle of that. But Jacob decides to extort his birthright from his brother. And you hear what Esau says. He's like, what's a birthright? I'm hungry. We're all going to die. What's the difference? Give me, give me the soup. And Jacob goes, no, no. I think about what you're doing. Give me your word. You're giving me the birthright. And Esau does. Last week I mentioned that we often get the stories, we get the details, we get the information, but Scripture doesn't always give us a lot of the behind the scenes. Like when we read a novel, the author will tell us what's going on in the mind of the character, why they're choosing to do what they do. We don't get a lot of that, and when we do, we should pay particular attention. Because I believe most of the time, it's left open-ended. We get a story And then we have to figure out what is the moral of the story? What's the lesson to be learned? I think that is an intentional design of God through the Holy Spirit because God has many, many lessons in every story to teach us. But today we are told that he trades his birthright for a bowl of soup showing just how little he thought of his birthright. He doesn't understand the power of his words. He doesn't understand all that came with the birthright. He has no understanding that God made a covenant with his grandfather. Almighty creator God made promises, a covenant with his grandfather to make them a nation. The nation that would change the very nature of the whole planet. All of creation. And that came down to his father And it would have come down to him as the firstborn. But he doesn't get that it's a big deal. It is so insignificant to him what God is trying to do that he'll trade it for a bowl of soup. A bowl apparently of red bean soup. He doesn't get it. So we're given this that he doesn't have an awareness of what God is doing and of the significance And I want to be really harsh and judgmental when I read this story. How can you not get that? 
And then the Holy Spirit pricks my heart and reminds me that it's harder to discern the will of God in the moment. I get the benefit of having had this story read to me since I am too young to remember. I've had this preached and taught to me. Here is Esau in the moment. And every day you and I stand in moments where we are making decisions about what is the will of God for us as individuals? What is the will of God for us as a church? What is the will of God for us as Christians on this planet? And it can be a little harder to see the eternal consequences, the long-term ramifications of the decisions that we are making in that moment. And I realize that over and over, I make just as foolish of decisions as Esau did. We say to God, to the other person, to ourself, to our checkbook, to whatever we're doing, give it to me right now, right now. I want it right now. I want what I want right now. Now this does pinch me because I'm very much an instant gratification girl. And if you could see my husband, I'm sure he's nodding very vigorously from the balcony. I am the person that used to, 20 years ago, There was um, on eBay, you had to bid on something and wait to see if you want it. And if you couldn't wait or you had to have it, you did buy it now. You paid more for that. I could not participate in those auctions. I had to buy it now. And when Amazon got to where they could send you stuff quickly, oh, I like that. If I can order it today and Amazon will put it on my front porch tomorrow, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. I'm not going to four websites and see who has it less. Nope, I want it right now. I have driven to Birmingham and once or twice to Atlanta to buy something today because I couldn't wait for Amazon to deliver it to me in two to three days. I want what I want and I want it right now. But friends, some of the best things in life, some of the most important things in life don't come through instant gratification. They don't come with our thoughtlessness are unthoughtful decisions made in the moment. They come with a decision and a commitment to be patient, to stay committed, and to hang in there. After we finished the chapel service this morning, I looked at Blair as we were getting ready for this service, and I said, I didn't think about it, but learning to play the piano or the organ is something that doesn't happen overnight. You don't take three piano lessons and join an orchestra. You don't sit down and have one organ lesson with Blair and show up and play next Sunday. Things take time. It takes time to learn to ride a bike. It takes time to learn how to sew. It takes time to learn how to do a new job. It takes time to get a degree. It takes time to learn. If we only want what we want right now, we miss the blessings of staying committed, of hanging in there, of waiting to see what God is doing in the longer term. But lots of those things are worth it. We get in a relationship with the person we think is the one God has for us for life. And it takes a while to discern that and figure it out. And then we get married and we keep having to figure it out. Joseph and I will have been married 31 years in September. We're still figuring it out. But we're committed to figuring it out. We're hanging in here. We cannot always just want what we want right now. 
Because the decision in front of us today, the thing that brings us the pleasure, that brings us the instant gratification, may cost us a lot down the road. Our scripture today doesn't read the end of the story. If you follow on over in the book of Genesis, you'll see that when Isaac comes up to the end of his life, he's going to bless his children. Because he's pretty sure he's going to pass away soon. This is the official conferring of the birthright on the eldest son. And uh, Esau, I always wonder, I I think maybe he took it lightly because he didn't have any plans on keeping that word anyway. Like, I'm just going to get the soup today and then I'm still going to keep the birthright down the road. But Rebecca and Jacob are going to be sure that Esau stays to his word. So they connive and scheme to be certain of that. And so um, Isaac has said, Esau, go out, Kill, kill and make the meal that I like, and then let's, let's do the birthright ceremony. And so while Esau is gone, Rebecca says, Jacob, it's fixing to happen. We need to quickly cook a meal. Take it into your father. We're going to dress you up. He's, he's blind. We're going to dress you up like Esau. And you pretend to be Esau so that you get the blessing. Every time I read that story, I think, Phew, dysfunctional family. All over Scripture, there are dysfunctional families that God still manages to work through. That ought to be hopeful. It's hopeful to me that God can use imperfect and dysfunctional people to bring about His good and perfect will. And so that's what they do. They get the birthright. Look at how the destiny changed for Esau. Instead of us saying, This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We would be saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He would have been a patriarch of a nation. A patriarch of a faith. And in this pivotal moment, he traded it for bean soup. How many times do we come up to a pivotal moment and we fail to discern it as that pivotal moment? What does it change for us? Now this moment is going to cause great dissension between the brothers. There's going to be decades of estrangement. Eventually the brothers are going to make up. Their tribes and the nations, the people groups growing out of them, are not always going to get along. This is not the Israel and... um, This is not the Judaism and Islam fight. That is one generation before this. But this is the Edomites and the Israelites, and they have plenty of not getting along in Scripture as well. So the brothers repair the relationship, but the people groups do not. So even when we make the bad decision at the pivotal moment, it's not all over, because God is always working things together for our good. We hear that Scripture quoted often. For God is working together for good, all things to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. We know that's not the case. But it means that whatever happens, God is always nudging and moving us back toward what will accomplish his will. Whether it's our decision or the impact of another's decision on us, it is never too late to make better decisions, to be part of what God is doing But we do miss the things that God was doing between the time we made the poor decision and the time we began to make better ones. 
How might life be different if we could make the better decision in the moment? So how would we make a better decision in the moment? Well, we always make the best decision we can in that moment, we hope. But one of the ways we do that is we just pause for a second. We pause before we make the decision. And I believe as followers of Jesus, both individually and as a, as a community of faith, as a church, we pause for a second and we check in with God. God, I have this decision in front of me. What decision would you have me make? I don't know. This is especially hard when it's two pretty good options. Or when the options are bad and worse. What, what do I do? And we get the guidance of the Holy Spirit on the decision that we're making. We give God a moment to show us, to lead us in the direction of what will have the best long-term value for us. Where is God leading us? And how do I join and become part of God in doing that? If we learn to regularly pause and pray, God, I don't want to sell my birthright. I don't want to sell the destiny that you have picked out for me. I don't want to miss the beautiful things you have laying ahead because I'm not paying enough attention in this moment. Give me a greater awareness. Help me to see you in this moment. I believe if we can pause and pray, that we can do a better job of getting out of, give it to me right now, and saying to God, give me all that you have. Give me all that you want to do, because that's what I want. Let's not sell our birthrights for a bowl of red bean stew. Let's live into all that God has for us. Let's let him lead us to a promised land, to a birthright, to a destiny of what he has. And let's not fail to stay committed because it takes a moment to get there. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, and loving God, according to your word and the witness of Jesus Christ, you are at work in each of us and in our world. You are a good, good heavenly father. You want good things for us individually and as a church. You want the entire world to know your love, your grace, your mercy, and your justice. Help us to be better disciples at pausing and praying and listening for your voice and following you where you would lead us to go. Help us. Help us not to sell our entire future for a moment of instant gratification. All this we ask in the name of our Savior. Amen.